0: It's Guys, Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny.
1: And welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins. Guys, Guys Radio. Speaking of Guys, Guys, we've got two of them for you today. We're going to do, the show's a little bit different this week. We've got, first, we've got a fighter pilot who's a writer and a novelist on the show. His name is Paco ki Arichi. And he's written a book, a very cool book, called Lions of the Sky. It's kind of a top gun for the new millennium. And he's a very cool guy. He's a fighter pilot's pilot. And uh, he's going to take us through what it's like to be a fighter pilot and also what it's like to be a fighter pilot who's written a novel and what goes into his book. Very cool guy, a real guy's guy. He, This guy's a man's man. And uh, uh, thank you, Paco, for your service before we even get you on the show. So we've got Paco, and then we're going to do something a little bit different. We've got another guy, another guy's guy on the show. We've got Tom Nelson. Tom Nelson is what I would call the kind of creative director, if you will, and the driving force behind the band Heathcote Hill. And they're an East Coast band. They're up in uh, Westchester County, New York. And they are kind of an up-and-coming Americana, I would call them, type band. It's it's kind of like Boomer Rock, but it's really nice uh, Tom's a great musician. He writes the songs. They've got a terrific singer, and we're going to feature two of the cuts on the show. So we haven't had a musical guest on Guys Guys Radio yet, so it's another first for us. So I can't wait to get started. I hope everybody's had a fantastic summer. It was beautiful in the Northeast, but you know our summers in the Northeast are a little bit different. There, it's hot. when it's hot, it's hot, and when it's humid, it's humid. <laughs> Usually they're hot and humid. But at least we didn't get a lot of rain. We got some early in the summer, but then it kind of evened out. And uh, we had a real kind of August with a lot of those dog day, long summer dog days in August and uh, rounding into September. Where September weather in New York City in particular is gorgeous. And also down the Jersey Shore, places like that. I've mentioned many times my uh, relocation to Southern California. All systems go. Everything's uh, locked and loaded. Uh, my wife, at this time of the time of this show's broadcast, my wife and my son will be ha- happily ensconced in San Diego, where we're going to start out, and uh, we're going to take it from there. So, fantastic. Guys, Guys Radio, KCAA, every Wednesday evening, 8 p.m. Pacific Time. So, we're going to get into it. We're going to get to our guests right away. Okay, guys guys, Radio, as I mentioned, we have a very special guest today. Um, his name is Paco Ki arici and he is a pilot and with all of the buzz about the you know the upcoming uh, top Gun sequel, I think he's got the perfect book for everybody to read, which gives you a real insider's look, not a Hollywood insider's look, but a real insider's look uh, called Lions of the Sky about what it's like to fly in the Air Force. Let me tell you a little bit about Paco. Um, his name is Francesco, but uh, they call him Paco. He's the author of Lines in the Sky. During his active career in the Navy, he flew A6E Intruders and F-14A Tomcats. He was deployed to conflict zones from Somalia to Iraq, stationed aboard carriers during the U.S., including the USS Ranger Nimitz and the Kitty Hawk. Unable to give up dogfighting, he flew the f Tiger II for another 10 years as a, a bandit. Concurrent with his employment as a commercial pilot. That's a lot there. Throughout his military career, he accumulated nearly 3,000 tactical hours, 400 carrier landings, and a Southwest Asia service medal with Bronze Star and three strike flight air medals. His writing has appeared in Aviation Classics magazine, uh, all over the place, and he's created and produced an award-winning naval aviation documentary called Speed and Angels. He's currently a 737 captain, and he can also also often be found in the skies above California, where we're listening right now in a Yak-50 with a group of like-minded G-hounds to get his dogfighting fix.
2: <laughs>
1: so welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Paco Tiarici. And thank you so much for for being on the show. Well, you're a real, uh, you know, somebody, somebody, I, first of all, thank you for your service. And uh, secondly, how did you uh, get inspired to fly planes when you were a kid? I assume it began.
2: You know, um, it it didn't start for me when I was a kid. I I think as uh, most kids do, uh, you know, I built the models and and was enamored with uh, fighter planes when I was really young. But then it kind of faded into the background until I went to college and uh, I was in the Navy ROTC. And uh, aviation is one of the four major choices you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a backseat ride in an F-14 the summer of my sophomore year. And that was it, man. It set the hook forever. Uh, I was infected just like a virus. Wow. And uh, yeah, it really, really turned it on for me. That was now, that was any-
1: clearly what I wanted to do. Anybody else in your family or this was just you?
2: Just me. I mean, my dad did two years between Korea and Vietnam in the army, but uh, really, I was the only, only one that ever flew, and I was the only one that really had a career in the military. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, how long did it take you to get the training to actually make your first solo flight in any type of airplane?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. They, in the military, that you know, it's my belief that anybody can learn how to fly, but to learn how to fly in the military, you have to be, uh, you have to be quick, and mm-hmm. from the time. Um, from the time you finish all the academic portion, which is, I don't know, a month to six weeks between uh, just the grinding out of the studying and the and the simulators, uh, and you actually sit in a real airplane for the first time, it's only about two weeks. It's wow. super fast, yeah. And um, you know, you you learn how to fly and three phases in the Navy. There's primary, intermediate, and advanced, and each one is roughly six months long. So in about 18 months, you are a winged Navy aviator and you're off uh, to learn how to fly the uh, the plane that you're going to be flying in the fleet.
1: Now, does it, does everybody make it through the training or do some people say, you know, this is not what I expected, it's not for me, or they just can't cut it?
2: No, definitely not everybody makes it through the training. And there's a number of uh, weed-out stages. Um it's so expensive these days that they try to weed most of the people out before they ever get to an airplane, mm-hmm. and I think they're fairly successful at that. More successful than they were when I was flying. You know, a lot of people uh, we lost probably 10 to 15, maybe 20 percent of our class from when we started to the winging ceremony.
1: How, how so do they, how do they it's, weed it's, them out? How, what what's what are the criteria that kind of you know does the winnowing, if you will?
2: Well, I mean, there's a variety of different things. Uh, You know, we start off with academics. Uh, First of all, like I said earlier, everything is really fast-paced. It's a Mm -hmm. fire hose. Um, And as soon as you're comfortable doing one phase of of flying, uh, you know, like, say, formation flying, uh, you'll do five flights of formation flying, and then, boom, you're off to the next stage, which is, you know, bombing Mm -hmm. or or strafing or something like that. It's just, just enough to get you to the point where you, believe you'll be able to do it someday with some sort of proficiency mm-hmm. and, and they cut you off at the knees and, and, uh, and throw something new at you. Got it. And, uh, and so there's a variety of different things that I would say the second biggest thing is, you know, in the Navy, we land on aircraft carriers and, uh, you can be the best fighter pilot in the world, but if you can't land on a ship, then you're no good to the Navy as a fighter pilot. Okay. Um, what? so, you know, that's a huge weed out Mm-hmm. stage there, and that's the the final exam in intermediate advanced and once you once you get to your fleet aircraft, the last thing you really do is go land on a ship day and
1: night. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think are the core qualities that uh, someone has to have to be a success to get through the program and to be a, a successful pilot in the military?
2: Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I served for twenty years, and there was such a huge variety of people and Backgrounds and characteristics and personality types. I mean, everybody's got sort of a Type A personality. Um, mm-hmm. But you just—I think the most important thing is that you really have to want it. You, there's no such thing as an accidental fighter pilot. You really have to want them to make it work. Uh, you have to have the right attitude, and uh, you know, everybody that shows up is motivated. They're intelligent. Um, you know, they've—they've they've got a strong academic background, but. The, the wickets that you have to jump through, the, the sort of the, uh, the death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so extreme that it has to be that thing that you want more than anything else. Got it. So the, just the
1: drive and determination. Okay. Um, one more question just about the technical aspects of your training. Because I think, you know, on Guys, Guys Radio, what are, one of the things we try to do is we bring out information for people. And I think, and then they sure. can determine, hey, this is for me, or I didn't know about that. But, but that's the service. And I, what, I, what I like to do, Paco, is I like to ask the questions. If I was listening, I was driving in my car, I'd say, ask him that. And I'm really curious right. about what you do. So I hope you don't mind asking some technical questions about the work you've done. So let me ask you this. Not the at different, all. T- t- tell us about the different types of planes. That you've flown, you've got the A6E Intruder, the F14A Tomcat, the F5 Tiger II, Yak 50 that you're uh, now, and then the commercial, the 737s. What's tell us a little bit about the difference in the experience in in flying these types of craft? Sure, uh,
2: you know, I consider myself to be really, really fortunate in that I get to do what I love, uh, you know, as my profession, my profession, and also as a as a recreation, you know, flying the Yak 50. Um, just to go through uh, the aircraft that you mentioned, the A6E Intruder was a, a Vietnam-era, low-level, all-weather uh, medium-attack bomber. And at the time, it carried almost as—not almost, but it was second only to the B-52 in terms of the number of bombs that it carried. So it was a, it was a workhorse, and it flew through the mountains and valleys day and night using this uh, terrain-following radar to, to bring ordnance to the target. And that was the job of the A6. Super fun. It was uh, crazy dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, tight-knit camaraderie and loyalty to the community. Uh, and fortunately, the plane kind of aged out, you know, with technology, uh, both mm-hmm. uh, on the on the enemy side and our side, you know, it became a little bit antiquated, so it, it went away. And I was fortunate in that I got to transition over to the F-14. Uh, the F-14 was... Uh, it was born as an air-to-air superiority and interceptor, um, so its its initial job was to launch long-range strikes against to protect the the fleet against uh, Soviet bombers. Mm-hmm. So it was super fast. It had a, a really good range, and it carried this missile called the AIM-54 Phoenix, which was designed to shoot. You know, extreme long-range missiles to protect the aircraft carrier and the strike group from Soviet bombers. Mm-hmm. In my career, it morphed into a, a very capable dogfighter, which is a different beast than a, an than a air superiority fighter. Um, and it also turned into an incredibly effective platform for air-to-ground delivery of, of bombs, mm-hmm. laser-guided bombs specifically. So it was able to adapt to the times as, as the times uh, changed, um, until the point where about, uh, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more in 2006, it became obsolete as well. Just the cost of maintenance on the aircraft. Right.
1: So how, Paco, how does this different than, uh, when you're flying a 737, what's the main difference <laughs> between the military craft? Is it one, like you're driving a bus that's in, going in slow motion and the other, you're in a, you know, a Maserati going 120 yeah, miles exactly an hour. Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: I mean, like I tell people, I, I went from, uh, from being a formula one, you know, race car driver <laughs> to, uh to a bus driver which is fine <laughs> you know you can't can't drive formula 1 cars your whole life but that's right. exactly right i mean i was i was in the sports car you know going mm-hmm. with my hair on fire and now i'm uh, you know my passengers if
1: they if they feel like they're in their living room uh, you know going from <laughs> a to b and that's then I've right, my job. Right. got it. Okay, let's get into the book. I mean, it's to me, it's fascinating. First of all, your your life story, I'm sure, is fascinating. But the fact that you became a novelist and you, I went through the book. I haven't read the whole thing, but I read some passages, and I got to tell you, very well written. You've got a uh, you've got a good storyline. The main character, the name of the book again is Lions of the Sky, Paco, uh, Paco Kirichi as the author and uh, Sam Richardson is the fighter pilot's pilot. He's a reluctant legend with a gut-eating secret. He's the la- in the last span of his tours as an instructor, yearning to get back to real action of the fleet when he's ordered to take one last class, a class that will force him to confront his carefully quarantined demons. So I love that. And then he's got an antagonist, I guess if you will, Keely Silvers, and it's a woman and she's brash, caref- carefree, naturally gifted and uh, her and her uh Uh, classmates are kind of wild and ragged so and of course they're going to go to a very dangerous zone as you would expect and in this case it's the South China Sea. So what I'd like to know Paco is what inspired you to write a novel and uh, why did you pick this story and then the setting of the South China Sea? Sure Uh, I've been a writer my whole life um,
2: and writing a novel has always been uh, an aspiration for me and, and being a novelist is uh, is something that I, I really wanted to accomplish. Um, ideally, this is the first of, of many books in this series. Uh, in fact, I'm about halfway through the second uh, right. second mm-hmm. novel the sequel. Um, and then the story the, this story lines of the sky is it's uh, sort of the, the introduction to the world of naval aviation. Uh, And the best way I thought I could tell that is, as you mentioned, Slammer. The lead character is an instructor pilot, and he's kind of that classic hard-boiled guy who's, uh, you know, he's he's had enough of dealing with the students, and he wants to go. He sees that there's some trouble brewing in the South China Sea, and he wants to go out and uh, you know be in the thick of the action. And Mm -hmm. and he's uh, he's miffed that he's got to deal with a class of students, one last class, and of course he's got. A little bit of an issue with women in the cockpit, female fighter pilots, and and uh, this class has two women in it, Keeley Silver's, and there's another character, Dusty Rhodes, uh, and they challenge his beliefs and and you know his preconceived notions right. uh, to the to the point where you know he's he's really got to come and come to terms with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the South China Sea is a, is a real life uh, situation that's brewing right now that. The Chinese government is taking over this uh, very, very strategic and valuable portion of the ocean, uh, and uh, you know they're putting military bases on uh, these islands um, that previously had belonged to no one. They were in international waters, and they've claimed them as their own. And so, I've always believed that that was, uh, you know, that's a really natural setting for a flashpoint. Mm-hmm. And as these, as the kids go through training, and as Slammer is dealing with all these issues, and You know, there's all the the inherent drama of flying jets uh, and dropping bombs and dogfighting and all that stuff that they've got to learn. There's a constant drumbeat in the background of this uh, character, this commando, who's taking out assets from the nations uh, that border the South China Sea, the Philippines, Vietnam, um, Brunei, just to name a few. uh, And he's taking out their assets, and it's uh, very clearly leading back to the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can kind of see that there's this underlying tension that's building up towards the climactic battle sequence in in the book. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, but I was going to say that it, you know that that particular uh, situation in the world is is very real, um, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to make it as authentic as possible. You know, to make the action and and uh, and the setup as authentic as possible to to really draw okay. the reader in.
1: Now you you mentioned in the book it's kind of like the um, and that some of the pilots they they're, they're inter- it's almost like this new class with uh, Keeley. they're you now it's yeah. like toys the expensive toys they're flying around and it's interesting because yeah. I was talking to a, a friend of mine and his brother's a Navy SEAL and he's he was talking about uh, what's going on and uh, this was a few years ago in the Middle East and he said you know what some of the guys in the military and forgive me and tell me if I'm wrong they love to get out there and like you know test out the new equipment, and they're having some fun with it. Of course, lives are on the line and all that, but they love taking this stuff out there and working with it. Is that the same sentiment that a lot of folks feel who are in the military? Like, they love flying these planes, and they love, you know, shooting at stuff, and it's it's not, not to kill people, but I, of yeah. course that happens, but just, you know, playing with the machinery itself, is that kind of, is there a thrill aspect of that also? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. I mean, it is, trying to it's be respectful. the thrill of life. It's, <laughs> no, I
2: understand, but it's, you know what? It is every young boy's dream and, and, a, and some young women as well to go out and fly these unbelievable fighter planes mm-hmm. um, and dropping bombs and shooting guns and missiles. It's super fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's why okay. we do it. Right, sure. You know, we don't you. really do it to go out and, you know, kill people. That's not the, that's not the uh, the thing that drives us, but I got to tell you, man, it's, it is a rush. It's a rush, dropping a thousand pound bomb, and you know we, we mostly bomb targets that are you know right. on practice ranges, and and you look back behind you and you see this huge explosion go off. It, it's it's yeah. awesome.
1: How about have you just uh, let me throw you a couple of curveballs here if you don't mind? Um, UFOs. What's the word amongst your pilot your pilot buddies and yourself? And you ever see anything out there?
2: I have not. But uh, one of the articles that I wrote uh, a few years ago. Um, Deals with a good friend of mine, and this has now become a very famous incident. But it's called the Nimitz incident in 2004. Mm-hmm. A really close friend of mine, Dave Fravor. Okay, I've read about uh, that. Yeah, so I, I wrote that. I broke that story. Uh, I think in 2015. Uh, the article, if you want to Google it, is called yeah. uh, "There I There I Was: The X Files Edition." So if you okay. just Google that, it'll it'll pull it up. You have to put all of that in there. Um, but it's it was the first article because I. I had heard the story from Dave Fravor for years. You know, it was a great story to tell in a bar after a few drinks. You're like, sure. come on, Dave, tell that story about the UFO. Um, and, uh, so I became the editor of this online magazine and, and I, uh, one of the first articles that I wanted to write was this story about Dave's encounter, mm-hmm. uh, with UFOs. Uh, and so it was he and his wingman and they're two backseaters. So there's four people that saw these, this thing, um, and I detail that in the article. And then the, uh, the the ship that was accompanying the aircraft carrier uh, is a special type of ship that has this very sophisticated radar. And they also were seeing these objects flying around and vectoring the fighters uh, towards them. So I've never seen anything personally. In fact, you know, I had never really thought much about it. Uh, but this guy, he was the commanding officer of that fighter squadron. And, and he and his wingman and their two backseaters. Uh, saw this object. and in fact, Dave has the distinction of being the only pilot uh, in in history in recorded history anyway that um, was involved in like a dogfight basically with this uFO. wow. he was he was trying to join on it, and it was trying to dodge yeah. him and and uh, you know he forced it to uh, to maneuver in a way that it exited the area at a high velocity. Wow. that's
1: that's so cool. Um, what do you think, and what do your um, uh, fellow uh, members of the military think of actually what is the greatest existential threat to the United States right now globally? Is it China? Is it South China Sea? Is it Russia? Is it Al Qaeda? What, what is it? Because we get, you know, we, people watch TV and they read, we're fed what we're supposed to you now think about. We really don't know. We're not on the ground out there or in the air like you. Sure. Um, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because
2: uh, the federal government is interested in this whole UFO thing, not because they care about UFOs, but because whatever it was that was flying around out there, a uh, mm-hmm. ship could barely pull it up on radar. None of the fighter planes could pull it up on radar. So their concern was the threat to the fleet. That was the, mm-hmm. the direction they took for their investigation. Uh when it comes to strictly terrestrial concerns, mm-hmm. I don't think Russia is much of a concern. You know, uh, they've got a, a pretty uh, weak military. There's a few things that they fly or 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 field out there, like uh, surface air vessels that are sophisticated, but they don't have in, in great numbers, um, and and they're not super offensive. Uh, they're they're an irritant. Uh, the Chinese, on the other hand, are. I think, very ambitious to the point of being, um, uh, you know, they, they, it looks like they're trying to empire build. And, and the South China Sea is a great example of that. But mm-hmm. there's some other examples of that throughout the world. They, they've really taken a sort of a offensive strategy to expand their reach um, and to build up their military uh, in a very short amount of time. They've got, they're, they're building ships like crazy. Uh, they've got one aircraft carrier now, and they're building, I think, a total of four. Um, so they have a they have a huge uh, ambition, uh, and I think they're probably our biggest concern. Um, countries or, or institutions like Al Qaeda or ISIS, um, they're not a threat to the United States uh, in terms of you know the integrity of our country. They're a threat to. Uh, you know our peace of mind. Uh, you know they're terrorist organizations, so by mm-hmm. definition, they they cause terror uh, and uh, discomfort um, in in the populace. Um, I don't think in the U.S. Uh, itself, within our borders, uh, they will be a huge issue. But you know, they they we're a mm-hmm. we're a country that survives on trade. You know, we we right. have uh, assets of our our country that are all over the world and. Um, you know, those are vulnerable to Al-Qaeda. We can't protect everything uh, and the planet from the reach of a terrorist organization. So I don't know. I think it remains to be seen how uh, how much uh, damage they can do to, you know, the country itself uh, and uh, and the
1: trade that, that we live by. Okay. All right. Um, uh, guys, Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. I'm here with a real guys guy in real life. Uh, his name is Paco Kiarici, and uh, he's written this fantastic book, Lines of the Sky. Last question for you, Paco. You know, the Top sure. Gun and the Top Gun sequel. Actually, the Top Gun sequel. The the, pi- the, the, the plot seems right out of your book, frankly. Um, do you, Do you find, and guys, other guys and gals in the military find that that's realistic, or is it like way unrealistic?
2: Uh, you know, I don't know too much about the sequel, um, but the first one was. It was not. I mean, it's pure Hollywood. Uh, sure. It's fun. We kind of loved it, especially people from my generation who grew up with Top Gun. Um, but it's not realistic. That's not the way we do business in the Navy. Um, the flying sequences are great and they're super fun to watch, you know, and they obviously set to music. That's that's all awesome, but it's not realistic. I wouldn't use that it. phrase at all. Okay. Now the sequel may be. Uh, you know, I've I've got some two really good friends that are working on the with the Navy uh, as liaisons to the um, the production company, mm-hmm. and they, they tell me they can't tell me anything specific about the film, but they say that they're they think it's going to be pretty good. They're they're excited. Cool. So I think they're going to tighten it up a little
1: bit. All right, great. Um, uh, okay. So where can uh, people find about more about you, Paco, and your book? Lions of the Sky, Paco Chiarici, Tell us. Yeah.
2: So, lionsofthesky.com, uh is, you know, you can uh, it, it, all the stuff about myself, my career, uh, the book, uh, documentary I produced called Speed and Angels. It's all available on lines of the uh, Lines of the and the book itself is available on Amazon. Uh, it's uh, available on other outlets as well, but all the versions of it, the uh, Audio, the paperback, the hardback, they're all available on Amazon.com.
1: Fantastic. Well, listen, Paco, great talks, fascinating. Uh, Forgive me for mangling your name (laughs) a couple (laughs) of times. Uh, And uh, really, thank you for your service. And uh, I hope everybody goes out there and picks up this book, Lions of the Sky. Paco Ki-Arici on Guys Guys Radio.
2: Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold.
1: All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio, and uh, as I mentioned, we've got a special treat today. We're going to do some music. We haven't done live music in terms of playing, uh, playing tracks and having a live music guest who's a member of a band, and it's something I want to add to the whole Guys Guy uh, brand, if you will, because uh, it's all about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. So this is going to be an example of somebody that actually I know from my uh, career in advertising, a gentleman by the name of Tom Nelson, great guy, great creative. I was president of uh, Gardner Nelson uh, Advertising and also uh, uh, creative chairman of Amorati Puris Lintas when I was there. And he has kind of uh, moved his career, evolved as I have. And he's in the music area and he plays the guitar and he's got a band called Heathcote Hill. So let me tell you a little bit about them and then I'll bring Tom on. Um, it's, their music has been described as sumptuous Americana that ticks boxes relating to melody, infectiousness, earwormery i love that <laughs> and much much more besides says dave franklin dancing about architecture Heathcote hill they came together in 200 uh, 2016 to record a cd called reinforcements uh, they did a follow-up in uh, last november everlasting it's got re- extensive a- extensive excuse me airplay on triple a radio stations and was playlisted by many leading americana tastemakers including Artie martello Barry Costier, and Wildman Steve. Um, They have a great vocalist. Her name is Megan Porcaro-Herspring, and she's been compared to, and I think you'll agree when you hear their tracks, I'm going to play Susan Tedeschi or uh, Natalie Merchant. And um, my special guest is uh, the lead guitar player, and he does so much for the band. He's really Heathcote Hill. So let me bring him on to Guys Guys Radio, our very first musical guest on KCAA, Tom Nelson from Heathcote Hill. Welcome, Tom.
0: Hey, Bob. How are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for being here. When you started uh, Heathcote Hill, what was your uh, inspiration and what was kind of your vision for putting the band together, and how did you put it together?
0: Uh, I had stepped away from owning an ad agency. My partner and I sold our company, and I wanted to do something creative with the last third of my life, and I thought to go from advertising, writing, and directing to writing some songs. I've played songs since I was a kid my brothers and I all write and record music and I decided to throw my hat in the ring ask some friends to help me and we recorded our first album Reinforcements
1: Fantastic well it's very it's very nice I didn't know when I, I was meeting with Tom a couple of weeks ago to discuss having him on the show and I'm like I'm, I'm like Tom it's kind of like to me it's like kind of like Boomer Rock I really like it but I didn't know I, I didn't know how they uh developed the different genres in music now and it's actually it's in the Americana area and uh I think you're really going to like it because uh, great music is great music, and uh, we're not using auto-tune here. We're not using a lot of synthesizers. We're not using a whole bunch of production stuff. This is music, and I think you're really going to dig it. So uh, how would you you describe your music, Tom? I know I had to put it in a box, and the industry has to give it a genre, but how would you describe your music and what Heathcote Hill does? Our
0: genre is all over the place. We don't fit neatly into anything. I think that's because our singer is a really talented forty something and I'm a aspiring guitar player at sixty something and we cross <laughs> a lot of generations when we cross a lot of different things. There's there's rock, there's folk, there's a little indie and Americana seems to be the new catch-all thing for a little bit of blues, a little bit of country, a little bit of rock, but it's not it's not Sammy Hagar and it's not Joan Baez. It's kind of like I think it's kind of a catch-all. For a catch-all genre, which is us.
1: Now, just for the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar with Heathcote Hill, or it may not be from the East Coast or from the kind of um, Northeastern area, what is Heathcote Hill and what's the significance for your band?
0: Um, I live on Heathcote Hill in Mamaroneck, New York. It was uh, sold by the native Indians in the late 1600s and it ended up being a big piece of property being owned by an English gentleman named Heathcote. He owned everything back to Scarsdale, and that was his country estate. He ended up being a mayor of New York, and his family became incredibly rich, and the town of Mamaroneck sprung up around their big house on the hill, Heathcote Hill.
1: Great. Okay, so let's. Uh, why don't we do this? Let's play the first track that you brought along. We're going to play two. And the first one is called, it's a very tasty track, it's called Save the Ones You Love, and I believe it is from your, uh, which, which uh, the Save You Ones You Love is a five-song EP. Um, so cool. we're going to play it right now.
3: Everywhere I go, trouble, hopes, and dreams, and I don't really know if dreams will see us through. Dreams can all come true, so please be careful who you trust. Cause you can take it back and life goes rushing.
1: That was a tasty track. Save the ones you love. Um, tell us about a little bit about the songs, Tom. How did it come about? How'd you write it? Um, and uh, start start with that.
0: I. What I like about this song, Robert, is that it's kind of open. I wanted to write a piece that was open to how you thought about it, and for you to supply the definition of who do you love and how far would you go to protect them or keep them, and I. What's interesting to me about this song is if you have a very narrow definition of the ones you love, you have a very uh, selfish place. But if you have an expansive view of the people that you love and support, it's an expansive idea. So, what I liked about this song is it's very how the user listener feels is what the song means to them. Who is it that you love and how far would you go to save them?
1: Got it. Now, uh, you wrote the uh, lyrics and the uh, melody for this one? That's right. Okay. Now, tell us a little bit about your writing process. I mean, how do you come up with ideas? Where do you go when you're going to write? It's like, you know, I've always read, you know, Keith Richards, who's one of my favorites. He, he said, you know, I don't write the songs. I have the antenna up. And he must have a really twisted antenna anyhow, being Keith Richards. But it's like incoming, and then he'll run to his studio, and he'll lay down a track. Or the old story, when he did Satisfaction, he was sleeping and he woke up and he played the riff and then he went back to sleep and the recorder was on and it was snoring for a half hour worth of snoring and then it was how how do you work Tom?
0: (laughs) I would say very similar Uh, because I spent most of my career as a writer words come very easily to me and melodies don't. I tend to keep playing something till I have a melody I like and then fit words to the melody
1: okay so you don't have a phrase or a hook or something and you say something like save the ones you love and then you go do it you you have a you have a melody and then you'll you'll find like okay what is this saying to me or do you fit the two do you mesh the two I
0: try to fit the two because melodies tend to have a point of view like if they're beautiful or insistent or clever And then you try to fit words that make it feel like that. And I I write down phrases and I came up with the phrase somewhere, save the ones you love. And I thought that sounded neat. Uh, One step today is then I Googled it. There's one record from before the turn of the century by another band with that name. But it's very few. There are no other records that I could find. So it's a relatively unique phrase and it started to fit with a melody that I had been working on, and I, you kind of bolt them together. It mm-hmm. is very similar to your Keith Richards idea. You put up your tenet, you grab a bit, you put it in, and you start seeing if you can build a song out of that. Can you make got the it. lyric go somewhere? Can you make mm-hmm. the melody go somewhere?
1: Do you find that some songs kind of write themselves, and you, you know, you're there for like a couple hours, and you've got it, and others, there's a piece there, and you lay down a track, and then... You go away, and then you have to come back to it, and then the song changes uh, when you change your rhythm or you're playing around in the studio. How, how does it, What's your experience like in terms of uh, crafting a song?
0: Any and all of those. We're in the studio today working on a, a riff idea that I had four years ago, and it's taken me this long to turn it into a song that sounds pretty promising. Four years ago, it was just a fragment. And mm-hmm. Got it kind of build on it and see if it can go somewhere, and then I think you have to step back and say, is it working or not? It becomes its own thing that you're building, not unlike building the foundation to a house and then putting mm-hmm. doors on and putting windows and saying, that would look good with a really good thing on the roof. You know, do it's you, do you very ever- similar.
1: Do you ever, Tom? you have uh, Tom, you ever have like a, a bits of a song and you, you lay it down there and um, you maybe you get stuck or a little bit, you're not sure, and do you, do you play it for the band and say, "What do you guys think?" and get some input there from uh, either Megan or the rest of the team?
0: I uh, try to, but I try not to take them things until I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. I, there are very similar like back when we used together used to work together you Mm -hmm. want to come into the room with your your partners right right? here's my idea i've pushed it as far as i can go what can you how can you help me push it further if you take it in too unbaked it can spin out of control or people i don't know part of it's Mm -hmm. i think it's my job to supply something that's working so people can say yes or no
1: got it. it Mm-hmm. Let me tell you folks a, a little bit about my relationship with Tom and what type of guy he is. Um, again, this is Robert Manny, Guys Guys Radio, as uh, Tom knows me as Bob, and uh, we're on KCAA. Tom Nelson of Heathcote Hill is my guest. Um, you know, when I was back in advertising, I had switched uh, jobs from one agency to another. I had worked on uh, Stolichnaya, the the launch of all of the Stoli flavors. It was a huge success. And I rode that, into, and also Bombay Sapphire Gin, and uh, that was a huge success also. Uh, and I, I came to an agency called Emirati Puris Lintas, and I, I was assigned to Bacardi. And at the time, Bacardi was kind of a fun vacation drink. And uh, smartly, the, uh, the client wanted us to, you know, really uh, transcend that. And uh, I was working with some, I was the account guy, and I was working with some of the creators, and we were really striking out because uh, the notion of bats because there's bats on the Bacardi bottle was uh, being tossed around and uh, I thought that The whole idea of bats wasn't people hanging upside down in bars It was really the bat device that we see that's so prominent now on the bottles And I I, re- I got kind of got into it with the team that had been assigned and Tom was one of the creative chairmen With his uh, partner and uh, I had to go see them and it was a come to Jesus if you will meeting for me And I figured you know what? If I don't do something, I'm going to lose my job, so I better just lay it on the line. And the creators had their say, and I had my say, and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And Tom and uh, his partner, a fantastic guy, um, they said, you know what? The account guy's right. We need to uh, strategically, we need to go in that direction. Now, I didn't have the idea. Uh, but I knew that I knew the path we needed to take, and uh, that's the type of creative Tom is. And we ended up with kind of a, one of the breakthrough campaigns of all time, which was Bacardi by Night. So Tom is a a creatives creative, and he's also a pleasure to work with as an individual. So that's why I'm so glad he's on the show, and I'm so glad that Heathcote Hill is doing such a great job. Um, sorry for that. I had to tell that story, Tom. I uh, <laughs> I apologize because well, it's important. But you
0: were the key to breaking it out. Everybody was trying. Back in that day, people were trying to do dumb things with Bacardi on the beach with umbrellas. Right. In the tr- and the back idea was, well, no, it's it, that's come out at night, and that's when it's fun. And that's how we you're, that was what got us to Bacardi at yep. night, which
1: mm-hmm.
0: rev- but you well, know what? revved up that brand.
1: And I was the new guy, and you were the creator chairman, I'm like. And Mark Johnson was your partner, and uh, you guys were very cool about the whole thing. And it saved my my butt, and I ended up getting promoted out of it and uh so thank you so when you're playing guitar what type of guitar do you play um is it a les paul and then do you like to play the acoustic uh when you're writing or your electric guitar and um do you like to fill in with the acoustic to add some space to the music
0: i have 17 guitars lisa my wife is incredibly patient but i just pick up a different guitar that appeals to me and it's it sounds very self-involved, and I guess it is. But there's different stories in every guitar. Each guitar makes you play it a little differently. And I have three or four Les Pauls, and they're all a little different. And they all send you in different directions. And then you put up your antenna, like Keith Richards mm-hmm. says, and you see what you catch that day.
1: Got it. Okay. Um, listen, we talked about the fact that we're kind of we're boomers, but you know, I believe age is a number, and. I think you would agree, Tom, but you know, the industry is going to have their kind of standards and we have to break the mold, whatever we're doing. And that's, I think the message for our listeners is you've got a dream, you've got the inspiration, do it. You know what? If people dig it, they dig it. And if they don't, they don't, but you put it out there and Tom's putting it out there. So why don't we uh, finish up Tom with one, what's next for Heathcote Hill? Where can people find you in your music? And then we're going to play a tune uh, to go out uh, called some things in life. So talk, talk to us about those three things. Where are you going? And talk to us about some things in life and what's next for you guys.
0: We are recording more music. We we got great interplay with this last EP in the spring. We're going to go back out in the fall and hopefully the people who liked us will like us some more and we'll get make more friends and more people will hear our music. And we're just going to keep making it till we can't. People can't stand
1: okay. it anymore. And, and where, where can everybody find you and Heathcote Hill? Uh, What's the best are, place?
0: Uh, Instagram, Heathcote, Hill, Heathcote underscore Hill.
1: iTunes, Instagram. right?
0: We're all over iTunes, Spotify. We're up around 4,000 followers. We've got
1: 500. Web, website?
0: Uh, website is HeathcoteHill.net. Please join our email list and check. And we're everywhere, Hill. Is pretty clean. If you go there, you'll find us or a New Zealand uh, condominium association.
1: Okay. Sounds good. All right, Tom. Thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you for your friendship and uh, for working with you. You're a terrific guy and you're a great creative and I love the music and you're a sweet guitar player. I got to tell you, I know Ke- Clapton's one of your influences and you play. You, I'm not saying you're Clapton, but you have a style no, that's, not. That's, that's similar and you're getting better and better and better. So, Everybody, Heathcote Hill, check them out. And here's the uh, song we're going to play now. It's called Some Things in Life. Thank you, Tom.
3: that we don't know what to do we could live we could die we could save
1: Guys, Guys Radio. We had interviews with two guys, guys today. One is a man's man, Paco Kiarichi, the fighter pilot novelist. And then we had Tom Nelson, the creative force behind Heathcote Hill, the Americana band that's rising. You can check Tom's music out on uh, iTunes, of course. And uh, Paco's book is called Lions of the Sky. And I think what we learned today is that There's a lot of dimensions to being a man today. And uh, there's a lot of cool things that a man can do today. And I've always said that it's never been a better time to be a guy than right now. Because if you're a guy's guy, if you have those qualities, the casual confidence, the unassuming strength, the integrity, like a seductive type of integrity, which is in such demand and rare supply today, the emotional intelligence and the timeless style, and you're fun— You can have a great time, and women are looking for men to be men in the best sense of the word, so uh, be a guy's guy. So great show, really fantastic guests. Um, As you know, the show started with the source material of my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money, and it's really a sneak peek, a little peek under the tent, if you will, into the world of men Uh, For for women, and guys seem to dig the book, and women seem to dig the book also. So I hope you'll check it out. You can pick it up on Amazon, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I. Also, my blog is on my website, robertmanny.com. I've done over 300 blog posts on everything from my trip to Korea to my smoothies that I make to my process of elimination diet to all kinds of stuff about business, life, love, the pursuit of happiness. Also, um, the show, uh, Guys, Guys Radio, we're on KCA, of course, uh, every Wednesday evening, 8 p.m. Pacific. Uh, they usually replay the show on Sundays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're on 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 a.m. We're on iHeart Radio, Spotify, iTunes, slash Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, blog talk radio cast box you can stream it at kca.com or robertmanny.com guys guys radio the place where, where men and women can be at their best everyone wins i'm so appreciative of my listeners we have more and more great guests coming on the show we're booked right through uh, the middle of uh, fall and it's going to be fantastic so i picked out a lot of people who i think are going to have fresh perspectives things to learn about men women Everything to help our experience and to help us live our best lives. So Guys Guys Radio, thanks for your support. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, remember, like I always like to say, Guys Guys, finish first.